Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis in biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulton. I'm a professor, I'm a podcast host, and someone who cares deeply about science communication and how well we frame the most latest innovations to help people understand the good things that we can do and, and really important. And today we're going to talk about what's happening in the area of artificial intelligence and the discovery of new plant compounds. And we're speaking with Dr. Jim Flat. He's the co-founder and CEO of BrightSeed. So welcome to the podcast, Jim. Great. Thank you for having us, uh, Kevin. Uh, uh, love talking about what we're doing and ha both how it can impact uh, agriculture, food and health. So looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, that's kind of the triad that I like to shoot for here because we talk about all three of those things, usually not in one episode. But the other thing that I really would like to kind of maybe extract from you if we can during the course of this is that it seems like you guys are playing on the cutting edge. And we have so many students and others who are listening who are trying to think of, you know, what the heck am I going to do with my career where everything is moving so fast? And, I, you know, if you could help us understand and share how these new edges reveal themselves. You know, that would be so cool. Um, but let's start out by talking about, um, you know, your idea and your search here is to identify novel plant compounds. And we already know so much about this by metabolics or metabolomics. Um, all these methods are great. So what's really left to discover? Yeah, so Kevin, that's a great question. And, you know, this is what's uh, fascinating when you really dive into plant biology, as you know from your own research, uh, uh, plants are often referred to as nature's uh, foremost chemists. They have to, uh, they produce a number of uh, small molecule compounds, uh, phytochemicals uh, that are essential for their growth and survival. And as it turns out, you know, we have uh, evolved around uh, these plants and, and these compounds. And it turns, turns out that a subset of these compounds actually have uh, important health benefits. And we, we call these uh, small molecules that are health beneficial uh, phytonutrients. It actually turns out that uh, roughly 99% of these small molecules have yet to be cataloged and characterized. So in fact, uh, the, you know, there is an awful lot to discover here. Uh, so, you know, if you think about it, the 1% of compounds that we know, which are roughly about 100,000 compounds that uh, one would have access to publicly or through private collections, uh, has yielded a number of health beneficial compounds. Uh, you know, roughly two thirds of the small molecule drugs are derived from nature and of, of those most from the plant kingdom. Uh, things like aspirin from willow bark or metformin uh, as a frontline oral diabetic. 
uh, treatment uh, from the French lilac. And so while uh, this space has been incredibly productive, uh, there's an incredible amount left to discover. And that's why uh, we created this AI-based uh, platform called uh, Forger to really help catalog uh, these compounds in uh, higher plants and uh, in particular focus on edible and medicinal plants and uh, uh, glean you know, infer uh, where they can be beneficial for health. I guess my big question then is, is it that we haven't been able to do a deep enough dive in plants in general to discover something exceedingly rare, maybe produced at a very low level in a specific tissue? Or is it that we haven't looked broadly enough at plant diversity? Yeah, I think it's, uh, Kevin, it's uh, it's really a combination of both. As, as you know, a lot of uh, uh, research in, in plants has really been focused on, you know, the uh, 15 or so edible plants that represent uh, the, you know, what, 90% of, of, I think, the calories that we take in. So there's certainly um, an understanding that we have not uh, done anywhere near a, deep dive on some of these, uh, you know, plants that uh, are grown commercially, but are not as broadly used as, a, for example, as a foodstuff, uh, then, you know, the main row crops, in, including, uh, you know, corn and, and wheat um, and, and soybean um, and the like. Um, so that is an aspect, but also it turns out that, uh, you know, the existing analytical methods while improved, have not uh, been able to give, uh, you know, complete characterization of, of the small molecules there. And so uh, with our system, uh, we do uh, uh, heavily computationally aided uh, metabolomics where we take the, the most advanced uh, mass spectrometry uh, equipment and actually uh, pair that with our own uh, AI-trained algorithms to basically do signal processing to get uh, more information uh, from the uh, instruments. Uh, and using that information, we can uh, then in increase the number of compounds that we're able to identify. And so uh, for many examples that we've we've done where we've characterized a plant, we oftentimes can find five to ten times the number of small molecules uh, than had been previously reported. And so that gives us a much deeper understanding of what's in the plant. And then from that, we can begin to ask the question, what uh, uh, what role do these compounds play in health and how might we take advantage of that knowledge uh, to develop new products? So you mentioned this AI environment called Forager and AI is, is really just the intelligence, but it's dependent upon its training set. Like what are you training this software to identify or these algorithms to identify mm -hmm. when looking at, I guess, are you looking at mass spec? to identify individual compounds or give me a little more of a sense of what the guts of this look like. Yeah, uh, be glad to, Kevin. So uh, the training data that we use uh, differs uh, depending on the question that we're asking. And so with Forager, we ask uh, three main questions. Uh, what's in the plant? Uh, what do these compounds do for health? And having identified uh, interesting compounds that appear to be biologically active, 
what are the best uh, sources of those compounds in the uh, in higher plants. And so starting from uh, what's in the plant, in this case, we use uh, data, uh, large amounts of data, um, respecting uh, taking raw data and comparing it to identified uh, small molecule compounds that are very diverse in structure. Uh, so that, that training data allows us then to uh, basically do signal processing. So we have uh, a large body of compounds and we're able to uh, measure their properties and use those then to basically build models that will allow us to identify, uh, you know, uh, or at least uh, uh, assign an identity to, you know, raw data for unknown compounds. So that's the training data we use uh, for the, the deep metabolomics part of Forger. With respect to identifying then what those compounds are good for, uh, we actually uh, train on decades worth of biomedical research information that pair, uh, basically connect uh, certain biological targets to uh, clinically proven uh, health outcomes. And so with respect to biological targets, uh, these are uh, things like uh, cell receptors, um, uh, enzymes that can then be modulated by small molecules or trans transcription factors that govern um, uh, expression of, of certain genes, all that can impact metabolism and health. And so from these data, uh, then we build models uh, to describe uh, the, basically the features of compounds uh, that uh, appear to uh, make those compounds active and can discern or select away from compounds that aren't active. So in this case, uh, we take both public data and, and sometimes uh, privately available or unpublished data from collaborators or partners that we work with to, to build those data sets. And so with that, we can uh, basically uh, develop a number of alternative models uh, to uh, allow us to make predictions around these uh, features of compounds that would be expected to work. And so from that, we can then interrogate our library of plant compounds and identify those that would be predicted to be most likely to have a specific biological activity and therefore, uh, you know, particular health benefit. And then with respect to the final question, we you know, once we have an exciting discovery, we want to translate that then to um, an actual product, a real supply chain, plants that are actually uh, available to us. And so building on some uh, work that uh, my co-founder uh, Lee Che and, and several others on our team who all work with Lee at Stanford Carnegie, um, we actually take uh, omics data coupled with knowledge of evolutionary relationships uh, to make predictions about the metabolism of plants, basically creating uh, metabolic maps for a number of the plants that are interest, uh, of interest. And so again, this allows us to, you know, in effect, down-select from the 31,000 or so edible plant species and identify perhaps those several hundred that would be likely, you know, potentially uh, good producers of a compound of interest. 
interest. And what this allows us to do, of course, then is is find uh, kind of the global optimum for a particular uh, compound of interest. So um, this helps, uh, you know, this whole process of forger really allows us to accelerate uh, discovery as well as translation of those discoveries to real products. And uh, we have now plenty of case study to kind of prove out the, the success of that. But I think the important thing is you have three different uh, training sets of data for three different uh, questions. Well, you talk about being able to identify compounds that are novel, that have health and presumably benefit, right? But but plants are notorious for making products that protect themselves from biology. And so it would seem like the majority of things that you would find, and I think folks like Bruce Ames would agree, the majority of the things that you would find would be deleterious towards health. Mm -hmm. And so where do you walk that line? And is it really a dose makes the poison kind of question? Yeah, so... You know, I think uh, one aspect uh, in developing or at least evaluating the discoveries we have, of course, is looking at those that in, in fact uh, truly have a favorable health benefit and in fact then don't, um, you know, at least at, at uh, the estimated intake levels and, and potentially then uh, predicted um, uh, dosage levels don't have... Um, any uh, major adverse uh, effects. So I think one thing that's important to note is that uh, we focus most of our effort on uh, edible plants. So those uh, plants that have a history or safe history of human consumption. And so while that does not guarantee that when one takes, you know, say a, a compound and consume it at 10 times the level, that is normally consumed, that it won't have issues, by and large, we see that we um, are working in an, an opportunity space where, in fact, um, you know, we're starting from a relatively uh, safe point. And so, you know, asking the question about what are potential adverse effects is something we do very early in the process. So for any particular uh, discovery program that we have, uh, we often get, you know, a handful of leads, and then we evaluate those leads on questions like, okay, safety. So we can actually, uh, you know, use the same type of modeling approach to uh, look for its potential to uh, interact with uh, pathways that could be deleterious to health. And we often do, uh, you know, basic primary screening to uh, evaluate um the, you know, any effects that these compounds have uh, in, you know, assays that are known to be uh, indicative of adverse effects. And so uh, with our, our first product that we're now moving into clinical trials, we went through that entire process. And, you know, again, both uh, from experimentation and computationally, and, and through subsequent studies have found no, no issues. So certainly what you described, uh, there's the potential for, uh, but one, I, I think, benefit of Forager is we see sort of the range of possible solutions. And from that, we're able to, you know, I think have a very good chance of coming out with something at the end that is both effective and safe. 
Okay, so we're speaking with Dr. Jim Flatt. He's a co-founder and CEO of BrightSeed. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the products that they've developed, or at least the products that are heading for clinical trials. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. The Fall, a Patreon support for the Talking Biotech Podcast has helped cover the cost of hosting as well as promotion through social media. But there's a new reason you might consider sending a buck or two a month. Patent Trolls. A new breed of scumbag has emerged from the murk of the legal swamp. They have captured images from the Talking Biotech podcast website that scoured the web to test if they were indeed copyright protected. Now, in a few cases, they allegedly were. And now Fulta is being asked to pay thousands of dollars in usage fees, even though he has obtained the images from the presumably creative common sources. He also removed the allegedly infringing items immediately upon notification. But that's not enough. The patent trolls want big bucks for their past use. Of course, Fulta told them to pound sand, but the harassing messages and certified letters continue, and it's possible he may have to lawyer up, a process costing about $10,000 to start. Simply to begin, to battle the enemies of all that is decent. We are not paying the fees they are trying to collect. And hence, another courtroom and associated hassles for sharing science. So we wave two of our eight fingers at you, patent trolls, and you can guess which two. I guarantee you, it's not a peace sign. And now back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Jim Flatt. He's the co-founder and CEO of BrightSeed, and we're talking about artificial intelligence-enabled means to identify novel plant compounds and how these could be potentially linked to human health. And we know that plants make jillions of compounds, a lot of which you know, we do end up, we spoke about this earlier, like metformin, but things like vinblastine and vincristine and uh, taxol, dozens and dozens of compounds, which have led their way into human therapeutics and probably many more to be discovered. But one thing that comes up in my mind all the time is that we're losing ecosystems by the hour. We're losing rainforest, um, you know, the expansion of agriculture into these areas, as well as climate change. Uh, you know, how is this really a race against the clock? And are those kinds of threatened areas something that are maybe a little more prioritized for you? Um, Kevin, I would say, uh, yes and, and no to answer your question. Um, we certainly have interest in many of those diverse, uh, species that grow in very specialized in environments for their ability to produce compounds of interest. Uh, bright seed, because we're so focused on identifying, uh, solutions that can be, uh, readily accessible and, and made broadly available uh, to consumers. 
uh, we're really focused mostly on these uh, edible uh, plant species. And so what we, you, you uh, and I think you appreciate this with your background in, in plant biology, is that we, we see um, compounds that are produced in, in one species oftentimes can be found in other species as, as these species evolve to you know, develop uh, defense and survival mechanisms in different environments. We often you know, see commonalities of mechanisms employed by plants that uh, allow them to survive and, and thrive. So with respect to uh, you know, your question, uh, we really look at taking advantage of this sort of trans-species uh, 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 knowledge uh, in which uh, we can identify, uh, you know, perhaps a compound in a, a rare species, but then uh, actually find it in a, in a plant that is uh, more commonly available. And, and when we speak about our first product, we actually have a great example where we first identified the compound in a relatively rare uh, species of a plant grown in Asia, uh, not readily available. But then once we had identified the compound, we were then able to predict 80 different plants, uh, or at least I would say we predicted several hundred plants, and then eventually found that 80 of those plants uh, actually were able to produce the compound of interest and a handful of those were exceptionally high producers and therefore good commercial candidates. So it's a great case study of how, again, we can identify something that's rare that, that from a relatively rare plant, but then find it elsewhere in the plant kingdom uh, that would be more available. So you're absolutely right where, you know, again, uh, losing that diversity, of course, is uh, is is uh, a shame and it is uh, again is gonna limit in some ways our our knowledge build but uh, you know again there is plenty to s discover and we can find those same features in in plants that may be more readily available so brightseed has come up with two compounds that are in a preclinical situation and um, this is something that these these two compounds, are referred to as NTC and NTF, and I don't want to massacre the names on them, but what are they and how do they work and um, where are they in the clinical trial process? Uh, great question, Kevin. So uh, when we founded the company, we knew it was important to address a major unmet health need and uh, uh, take on the challenge of, uh, of a discovery program that had proven to be difficult in the past. So uh, in this case, we addressed uh, a major unmet health need of uh, uh, poor metabolic health, which as we've seen uh, recently with the uh, pandemic, uh, leads to poor immune health and basically poor resilience and greater susceptibility to developing infections and uh, ultimately leading to chronic disease. 85, I believe the CDC estimates that 85% of the U.S. population is in poor metabolic health. So this was the issue, uh, health issue that we were trying to address. So we partnered with a leading metabolic disorder and diabetes researcher, um, 
at the Sanford Burnham Medical Research Institute, and uh, he had developed some insights as to actually how our diet and specifically over, you know, basically chronic overconsumption of food uh, actually led to impairment of the body's normal regulatory system for uh, maintaining healthy uh, levels of lipids and sugar in the bloodstream. And as it turns out, the you know fats that accumulate from our diet actually impair uh, the control system, and over time, that leads to uh, increasing difficulty of the body to regulate uh, healthy levels of, of lipid and sugar, and in turn leads to poor and poor uh, metabolic uh, health. So um, through this insight. Uh, uh, he had developed a screening system for compounds that could basically reverse this effect of these uh, free fatty acids on our body's control system. And, and through that, had identified a, a couple of compounds, but they, uh, for different reasons, uh, were not sufficiently potent and, and were going to have issues really translating to human use. And so with, uh, you know, that experience and screening system, uh, my co-founder built uh, models, uh, made predictions and, and made a sig very significant discovery within three months of having founded uh, the, the company. And these, uh, this discovery, uh, which was the compound known as uh, NTC, um, is uh, actually a compound that's produced uh, by plants uh, and is involved in uh, wound repair. And, and so again, is a, a compound that is, uh, is used by uh, plants as, as kind of a building block uh, to, you know, for um, the, the cell wall. So again, its role in plant physiology was somewhat understood but its role in human health was really uh, really unknown. And so this was uh, the discovery that uh, Brightseed made. Uh, we identified uh, these two compounds are very uh, potent, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of this application where they're able to restore healthy uh, metabolism. And so uh, we've now taken these uh, compounds, we've identified uh, edible plant sources, and we have two very good ones. Uh, we're in the process of commercializing our first product. So we've taken this through all of the preclinical uh, research, uh, some of which we just published recently, that show its, uh, its benefits and its uh, activity through a novel mechanism, which is definitely of interest to the medical community. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, with those promising preclinical results, we're getting ready to embark on our first uh, major clinical study to prove out the benefits and support claims. And we're hoping to get this product uh, to market before the end of 2022. Uh, we think, uh, we hope over time that this can become uh, a daily habit uh, for all consumers to improve their resilience and improve uh, metabolic health. And we've seen just how important that is. Uh, you know, kind of like calcium and vitamin D are for maintaining good bone health. Um, it's also possible that these compounds could be uh, good starting points for therapeutics in the liver health space uh, relating to the uh, uh, large number of people that suffer, suffer from fatty liver disease and, and NASH. 
and for which there are actually uh, no approved uh, treatments for those conditions. So um, again, uh, through this process, we identified, uh, made a, 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 we think, a very significant discovery and are, you know, rapidly translating that to uh, products. So uh, hopefully that case study is uh, helpful for uh, the audience here to understand what we're doing. Yeah, I think it's important because when you start talking about, you know, there are so many claims around products that say, well, this fixes metabolic syndrome or handles inflammation. You start getting into that weird kind of pseudoscience space that you have to be really careful with how something is being sold or supported with data or whatever. And so your product, is it something that's going to be targeted more for prescription use to physicians, or is this something that would be more in the supplement range and you're just trying to come up with really um, rigorous validation of health claims? Like, where are you in that range? Yeah. So I think the what's important to note is, unlike a lot of nutrition, uh, and uh, again, as you said, uh, sometimes uh, confusing or conflicting uh, science, we're starting with really rock solid biomedical uh, health knowledge. So we're starting with uh, and focus on uh, mechanisms of action, you know, that are, are really well, uh, well established and asking the question, you know, what in our diet and, and what in edible plants can have uh, similar effects. So with proof of that activity, you know, we have good confidence that this is going to, you know, these uh, discoveries are going to translate. So I think that's the the first uh, difference. Uh, there are a number of nutritional compounds and supplements out there uh, claiming certain benefits, but you know, one thing that makes it, uh, those difficult is in in many cases they're unclear about the modes of action and. That uh, makes it more difficult for you know the scientific community to embrace em embrace them. Uh, in this case, we're starting with the science that everyone uh, accepts and uh, showing basic proof, you know, very straightforward and rigorous proof that these compounds act in in this way. So we think that's really uh, a paradigm shift that's going to open up a, a new era of discovery. And, um, and because of that, then we can take advantage of these compounds and use them in different ways. And, and typically at lower levels uh, for use in dietary supplements or specialized nutrition products, or even in as supplements to plus up foods to provide the benefits of a plant-based diet to others. That's certainly, you know, the application that we're focused on. But knowing that uh, these compounds are quite active, one can envision, uh, you know, developing, using them as starting points uh, for therapeutics to address, uh, you know, some of these uh, major un unmet health needs. And I, and I guess I would uh, point of view, you know, the, the audience to, if you look at the uh, example of DHA omega-3 that I spent a fair amount of my career in, uh, those products, which are beneficial for brain and eye development, as well as uh, cardiovascular health, you know, are are broadly used, um, and you see them in dietary supplements. You see them as uh, added to a, 
a number of foods, in, including plant-based uh, beverages, uh, as well as dairy uh, beverages. Um, and then finally, they're used in uh, at higher levels uh, as, uh, you know, for benefits for treatment of hypertriglyceridemia for a, a cardiovascular benefit. So we see that that example can be, um, you know, is, is something that will be repeated in the work that uh, Forager is doing. So it really depends what your goal is. But again, our, our main focus has been how can we promote good health, you know, kind of lifelong good health. So we lessen the need for, um, you know, therapeutics uh, once someone develops a very debilitating condition. How can we keep those people from developing that condition in the first place? That's our focus. No, very good. I, I get it. And it, it's always one of these things that when we talk about any kind of health claims, there's always, you know, I get a dozen emails that say, yeah, but you didn't press on the idea of, you know, of, of mechanism and that kind of thing. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. I guess the other um, big question is regulatory process that if you're producing compounds like this, is there a regulatory process and what is that like? Yeah, so the regulatory process differs by country, but generally uh, the U.S. And, and Europe, for example, uh, follow a, a pretty fairly similar uh, paradigm. So with respect to these type of compounds for use in supplements or, or foods, uh, in the U.S., this is governed uh, through the uh, FDA uh, GRASS, generally recognized as safe process, uh, which is actually a uh, self-affirmation process at the start in which a company develops uh, uh, scientific data and, and builds a, a dossier that can be reviewed by an expert panel or independent uh, panel of experts not connected with the company uh, to review the adequacy for establishing safety of these compounds. Uh, it's a process I've personally gone through uh, four times. So, you know, we're pretty familiar with how to do it. But the, uh, the safety dossier is quite rigorous where you pull information on, you know, all any and all uh, literature information that may relate to the safety of the compound or things uh, structurally similar to that compound. Oftentimes, companies perform their own toxicology studies uh, to support its its use at a certain level. And you couple that as, as well with knowledge about how these compounds, you know, would be metabolized in, in the body. So with that, uh, one can, assuming the uh, panel of experts agree, one then can uh, self-affirm that uh, the product that a uh, company is producing is in fact safe for its intended use. And with that can begin to market. Um, many companies, and, and we always have in the past, can take advantage of an optional notification to the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to have them review, their experts review the same information and, uh, you know, come back with an opinion. And generally, uh, after you know, a process that can last six to nine months, uh, the desired destination or hope for outcome is that the, the FDA basically has no further questions and, and basically accepts the, um, you know, the conclusions of the uh, safety panel. And so that just provides a, you know, kind of an extra good housekeeping seal of approval. 
Um, you know, in the European Union, you go through a, a novel foods uh, process, uh, which is um, a little more involved, but it basically it, it's focused on the same set of, of data. Uh, and again, that's an actual formal approval process. And, and then there are, um, you know, a, a number of, I would say, FDA-based uh, regulations in some of the Asian countries that, uh, again, uh, can allow one to use the same dossier and gain uh, approvals for the product there. So we are, uh, we expect to be filing our grass uh, uh, work uh, later next year to support use of uh, our commercialization of our product. Yeah, it's always really interesting to me as somebody, and I work mostly in genetic engineering, and a lot of the things we talk about on the podcast are around breakthroughs in, you know, increased nutrition or increased levels of a bioactive compound. But if you did this in a plant like that, like you're able to express some, I don't know, bacterial protein that had benefit or whatever, it would, that same process would take 10 years and millions and millions of dollars, even though you know what the compound is and that it has no effect, you know, yet you can take something that you know is biologically active by definition. And the process is, seems to be rather efficient. You know, it's, it's really an interesting contrast and an unfortunate one, because I think we got to be able to move faster with these things. Um, but, you know, just, you know, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, on that process, but, how, you know, when you contrast how we, how we regulate, you know, it's in, for you, it's very favorable. Yeah, no, that's right. I think, you know, you're asking several questions, right, uh, uh, in, in all these processes, but fundamentally, the one aspect is, is the, the product safe? And in, in this case, we're starting with, uh, you know, what we've been offered in nature and the products represent usually just uh, more purified, uh, say, uh, bioactive rich um, extracts of these plants. So in fact, we're, we're not making any uh, chemical modifications or introducing, you know, any unknown compounds. So if we can, in, in fact, show and, and just confirm that uh, the product is safe at perhaps higher uh, intake levels than might normally exist, you know, it's, it's fairly straightforward. So I, I think in inherently, at least in the setup we have, it it is a pretty efficient process because I, I think there are fewer questions that fewer unknown questions anyway that we have to address. You know, when you're looking at a, a genetically modified crop, you know, here you have uh, the embarrassment of riches of multiple groups, including the USDA and, and FDA and EPA, having all to look at both. Uh, the the end product but also the cultivation practice and whether you know uh, from an environmental uh, perspective uh, growing that crop would uh, in you know create any any issues and so again now that uh, you know gene um, you know there are many, much more precise methods of of genetic engineering um, you know, including CRISPR or Talon type um, uh, engineering methods, which are much more precise. I think it, it uh, you know, you reduce the number of questions you 
have to address, but in, in fact, you do have to both uh, address, you know, sort of environmental uh, impact as, as well as end product impact. So you're absolutely right. Um, that process is inherently longer, but I, I do have, uh, you know, this, this opens up the, a question of, of having the regulations keep up with, with in a way the science. And, you know, one of the things that, that we deal with, which is, is somewhat of a frustration, uh, and I think a frustration for consumers is that, you know, we have a, a growing body of very strong evidence uh, that shows the role of diet in health, uh, either is for, for good or, or uh, bad. Um, and yet our, our regulatory construct, which really uh, was founded in, in work done in the 1950s, um, you know, really hasn't kept up with the science. So consumers have an interest in gaining more detailed information about the impact of foods and, and produce that they buy on health, yet most companies really can't talk uh, explicitly about that, even though the science is there to support it. So, you know, I think Brightseed, as well as a number of like-minded uh, universities, organizations, and, and companies are, you know, we're working and hoping that uh, uh, we can um, update the, the regulations so that we can provide consumers with factual uh, information that meets their needs, as well as in doing so, uh, promote, uh, you know, healthier, um, you know, healthier eating uh, habits and, and the like that are ultimately going to uh, improve our health uh, and reduce our healthcare costs. So, um, you know, again, I think your, your point is a good one, Kevin, uh, where, you know, our it is important to periodically review the, the regulations in light of the science and, and both make sure that they're current as well as, as consistent, right? And, and I think that was the point that, uh, you know, uh, seemingly maybe inconsistent uh, depending on the approach that one's taking. Yeah, you know, if anything that we've learned from COVID, you know, that whole situation is that the approval process takes too long and we can do it faster. <laughs> safely. That's right. <laughs> and, 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 but so let me uh, ask you, you know, this, as we start to wrap up is, you know, can you give us any sense of a pipeline? And I know that, you know, these things can be kind of proprietary and, you know, important to kind of keep them under wraps, but what can we expect that maybe consumer facing products from you in the next decade or so? Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, three major, uh, focal health areas, and they are metabolic health, um, cognitive health, and digestive uh, health. And so uh, with that, we've actually uh, have a pipeline of, of six um, different products. Um, and right now, the, the earliest uh, you know, products to go to market will be in the metabolic uh, area, which uh, again represents the the biggest unmet health need, and an area where we think what we're doing uh, can you know really make a material improvement. But we're we're certainly very excited by the potential for these plant based uh, compounds in improving you know as things like uh, sleep and uh, memory and uh, and really mental performance. 
again, there's a lot of exciting work about, uh, you know, plant compounds and in, in the way they can affect our, our brain health and, and function. Uh, you know, interesting enough, a lot of the, in a number of these, uh, plant compounds can cross the blood brain barrier. So they potentially can be, uh, you know, bioactive. And then finally, I think the, the whole field, uh, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in gut health, recognizing that, uh, you know, the, uh, healthy gut not only can impact, uh, you know, not only controls how you feel from a digestive health perspective, but actually can influence, uh, you know, metabolic health as well as, uh, you know, uh, play a role in, for example, neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, so uh, we, we see, um, you know, some promising data on a couple of our compound plant-based compounds uh, in the gut health area. So I would say, you know, metabolic health, cognitive function, and uh, digestive health is, is where we're focused. And we think those represent areas of both high and met uh, health need, but also, you know, growing uh, and strong consumer interest. Well, right now there's a tremendous push on crop improvement that's really genomics enabled and being guided even by AI at some levels. How does this kind of work dovetail with those efforts? Yeah, so I think uh, this is uh, very complementary, and I think opening the work that Brightseed's doing is opening up really a new opportunity space for um, uh, seed developers, for breeders, uh, for agro. Uh, tech uh, firms and and really it goes as follows what brightseed is is doing ultimately is helping valorize uh, you know crops and what plants can do in their role in, in health and doing so in a way that's very specific from uh, basically identifying the compounds that are already naturally produced which essentially provides one a, a target and a market. Uh, for crops that w could be optimized to enhance levels of those compounds. So, uh, in fact, uh, we've, we're in pretty active discussions with several companies in the agricultural space uh, who are interested in developing crops that are fundamentally better for you. So, as you know, the, the history uh, you know, the, the history in the field had been to focus on improving germplasm uh, to enhance yield and, and disease resistance. And now with the improvement in methods, we can start asking questions either, you know, how can we make these crops uh, healthier uh, for us uh, or even healthier and, and in some of the cases of work you're doing, uh, more flavorful and, and more appealing. So, uh, you know, that's the, the opportunities we're really shining a light on those, uh, you know, kind of attributes of the crop that, that will have real health benefits. Through our work, we're helping create the market, uh, you know, which uh, again will create consumer pull for those, uh, you know, for those uh, crops that are enhanced uh, or better, um, you know, basically more nutrient dense that uh, will be, uh, you know, preferred by the consumer. And I think what this is doing is, uh, you know, again, addressing uh, not just farmer needs, but now consumer needs 
And there are, of course, many tools uh, to do that. So I think there's, a, in short, a real natural synergy between uh, what BrightSeed is doing and, and kind of as the front end of that pipeline for ultimately uh, germplasm and crops that are more nutrient dense and enhance in these uh, beneficial uh, phytonutrients. Oh, very good. Well, if people want to learn more about this work or more about your company, where can they look on social media or websites? Give us a few uh, popcorn trails here to track you down. Yeah. So our uh, our address uh, is www.brightseedbio.com, all, all one word. And over the next few months, we'll be uh, expanding our website to provide some nice links where people can, uh, interested listeners can can learn more not only about our our technology. Uh, there's a, a nice video on the website that describes it, it provides some introduction, but increasingly we're going to be adding more content uh, over the next uh, three to nine months uh, related to some of the health benefits and uh, provide you uh, more information about these uh, these uh, health beneficial uh, phytonutrients and uh, you know basically what they can do for you and where we can find them in, in common foods so uh you know stay tuned for that we're we're going to be expanding that content uh significantly okay well i'll look forward to that uh dr jim flat thank you so much for joining me today really appreciate it this has been a, a very different episode and i look forward to hearing from you well I, I look forward to hearing more about this i love discovery science and uh, I really look forward, you know, if you have some big breakthrough or something, you know, come up or get closer through clinical trials or whatever, you know, please let me know and let's have you back on again. Okay. Great, Kevin. I would uh, love to come back and we'll definitely keep you apprised of progress. Thank you again. And thank you very much for listening to another episode of Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, tell a friend, uh, you know, to join in the party and listen along with us. Now with patent trolls causing problems for us and uh, you know making our mission a little more challenging, it's important to have as many people on board as possible and to continue to expand this listenership. Um, I want to show them that they can press, but they're not going to stop the science. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are, but it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast, which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort, recommend guests, and support us with a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast.
You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.